We are back after a long podcasting hiatus. We're recording this one, 6.38 p.m. No Ohio State football to talk about, but a lot of Buckeyes involved. The Saints just lost a killer game. And, Nate, it's tough to see because, what, the Saints have six Buckeyes on their team, right? And just a tough loss for them, uh, one game short of the Super Bowl. Man, that one, that one stung. Uh, I, you know, I think you can attest to this, Mike. You're probably in a similar similar spot. Don't watch a you know, a ton of NFL games start to finish, uh, but committed to this one for sure. And I've always been a big Saints fan, love Drew Brees, love that they have so many Buckeyes, that entire secondary is Buckeyes in essence. Um, and, yeah, really really kind of lost a heartbreaker on a, a classic Damon Arnett-type, you know, pass interference that wasn't called. Yeah, the Saints would have won the game, clearly. If, if you didn't see the game, I'm sure you've seen the highlights uh, by now by the time you're listening to this podcast. But uh, pass interference that should have been called, Saints would have won easy. Instead, Rams ended up winning an OT. I mean, I guess credit to them. I'm not really – I don't really like the Rams at all. I think they have a lot of thugs on their defense. Marcus Peters, uh, Akeem Tlaib, Ndamukong Sue. So definitely don't like the Rams. Definitely upset about this outcome, but – uh, either way, Nate, I guess, you know, we had, we had a lot of Buckeye stuff to talk about. So, I mean, where do mm-hmm. we start? we got to talk about the basketball team falling apart. we got to talk about the coaching changes. we got to talk about Tate Martell. Uh, what, Nate, I'm gonna, the floor is yours. Where do you want to start this one? Yeah, I think I think we start with that quarterback room, Mike, and, and Tate Martell. He is he, – he's officially gone, correct? Yeah, he, is trans, he entered the transfer portal – I guess a week and a half ago at this point, and tweeted out or Instagram, whatever, a picture of him in a Miami uniform. I guess he's officially enrolled for spring classes at this point, and he's he's a Miami Hurricane now. Whether he can get eligibility or not immediately, uh, it still is to be determined. But uh, we just lost our backup quarterback, and that could potentially be a big blow if Justin Fields is not eligible. What's terrifying, exactly, Mike, is that. That that could be our starting quarterback that we just lost. Um, it's very much possible that, you know, everyone is, is assuming Justin Fields is going to be cleared to play, and that does seem to be the popular opinion what's probably going to happen. But until we know that for sure, I mean, at this point, our quarterback room is Matthew Baldwin and Chris Chuganoff. How, how are yeah. you feeling about that, Mike? I'm not feeling so great about Chris Chuganoff. Uh, Matthew Baldwin, I really – I guess I'm a little bit higher on him than other people. i got to say I'm not really totally familiar with him. It's not like I've watched a bunch of tape or anything. But this is a guy that Ryan Day specifically picked out. And Matthew Baldwin sat out a year. He redshirted coming off of an ACL injury. And he's a redshirt freshman going into this year. Look, I think Justin Fields is going to be eligible. But if he's not eligible, it could actually be kind of like – Remember way back when, when Braxton Miller got hurt, like right before the season started, and we're like, who the hell is this JT Barrett? He's a redshirt freshman coming off of an ACL injury. And, you know, look look what career developed from there. I'm not saying Matthew Baldwin's going to be the same, but I think, the look, if Ryan Day has confidence in him, I have confidence in him. And if 
if push comes to shove and Matthew Baldwin is our opening day starter, I guess we got to take it from there. But it wouldn't be too great. I definitely don't feel good about Chris Chuganoff though, like in, in so, terms of the backup situation. Let me ask you this, Mike: Are you are you telling me that Chris Chuganoff is going to be the next Cardale Jones? <laughs> yeah. So Matthew Baldwin comes in. He nearly wins the Heisman as a true freshman. Uh, gets hurt against Michigan, and Chris Chuganoff comes in and just uh, shreds Alabama in the playoffs. That would be something Man, else. I, uh, yeah, I'm all for that. Sign me up. Sign me up. I, I don't know. I don't know how likely that is. I, look, I don't know, understand why, Nate. Maybe you can uh, illuminate a little bit on the situation, but it seems like everyone, or at least the Ohio State writers, are just, like, assuming Justin Fields is going to be eligible. Like, I think we both feel pretty good about that. But people are writing about it as if it's a foregone conclusion, and we're not going to know for sure until April. Yeah, yeah, we are. It, that, from what I've heard, there's a chance we might know by, uh, you know, about six, seven weeks from now, which I think put us in mid-March. But more realistically, yeah, it's probably going to be in that that range of April to May. Um, and I, I believe he's still going to be able to participate in spring practice and such. So he's going to be in the system. He's going to be learning. Uh, however, you know, he's also taking half of the starter snaps at least. So if he doesn't get cleared, uh, that's just a, a monumental hit. Mike, let me focus this back to Tate Martell. What, what is your opinion on, on Tate at this point? You know, he, he made a lot of very brash comments. He was all over Twitter. Uh, and then just kind of backed out. What is what is your overall thoughts on him? I think that he has a little bit of a Napoleon complex. I mean, he's look, he obviously is short to begin with, but I feel like he came out at the Rose Bowl and basically said, I'm going to be here, I'm not transferring, I'm ready to battle for the starting position. And I think he said that he was emotional, he said that in haste, and I think he came back and had conversations with his family and they were basically like, dude, you're not an NFL player. You need to play while you're in college, and you're going to be backing up fields for three years or two years. You know, at, at best, you play as a fifth-year senior. you got to go somewhere else. So I think Tate Martell is just an emotional guy. I think we saw this based on his social media posts, and now he's, like, transferring, and he's kind of said one thing and done the other. I have no issue with it. I totally understand where he's coming from. But, yeah, I just think he, he's overall shown himself to be emotional, which, hey, there's nothing really wrong with that. Uh, Nate, what do you think? Yeah, I, and and I think what I've realized, Mike, is that after watching, he was on the, the show QB1, uh, which highlights three high school football players across the nation each season. He was he was on the inaugural season, and, and he was definitely um, – he definitely had personality. And I think what I've, I've started to realize is I just shouldn't be surprised by this behavior. I think we've seen signs of this for a long time. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's all a bad thing. I think the, the pride and the chip on his shoulder that he has is what makes him capable of being a good quarterback. What my big issue was, you know, put your money where your mouth is. If, if you're going to come out and say things like, you haven't been in this locker room, I'm loyal to these guys, I've gone to war with these guys, you know, don't, don't, make the same mistake twice, all that crap, and then you don't – it's not that he tried to compete and realized, it's he didn't even try, and he just left. Uh, that, that's where I have an issue with it. It seems cowardly. 
What I was, yeah, it, it, it's really interesting because I made a point on the previous podcast just that, like, Tate Martell, in theory, would have to sit out a year anywhere he goes because unlike Justin Fields, he doesn't have any kind of, like, I guess I, I don't want to really I, I say this uh, maybe hastily, but racial card to pull, you know, like nothing happened to Tate Martell at Ohio State that would really warrant a great excuse to transfer other than just like getting beat out as the starting quarterback. So why wouldn't Tate Martell just spend a year as a backup and then go somewhere else as a grad transfer, you know, and then play right away? But what I was actually reading was that Tate Martell is going to try and waive the hardship clause, you know, and basically say that, oh, because of the coaching change with Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, that he should be able to play right away, uh, a la what happened with Shea Patterson and Ole Miss. So, I, you know, if he can play right away, I totally understand him transferring. But if he can't play right away and the NCAA is like, no, sorry, you got to wait a year, then I think he kind of, like, wasted, you know, because now he can't play at all, whereas if he went to Ohio State, maybe he could have backed up fields and played a little bit and then just transferred next year. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing, too. And I I don't know. I just don't know if that's directly comparable. I think it, it could get kind of nasty. It sounds like he's going to pull the card that Urban was lying, didn't tell him about the, the cyst that Urban, Urban currently has. Um, and so, yeah, it just it feels kind of slimy. Um, obviously, he's going down to Miami. I wish him nothing but the best. I hope he does well there. I hope we can, you know, cheer him on like we cheer on Joey Burrow. But but this one stings, and especially if Justin Fields isn't eligible, you know, next season could be could be kind of painful. You were a bigger Tate fan than pretty much anyone I know. So I think if it's going to sting anyone, it's going to, you know, sting you especially. I think we had one question a while ago on one of the podcasts, basically, like, which Buckeye, uh, you know, on the team now could you see their their number hanging in the rafters? And I think you, you broadly said Tate Martell. And maybe he will be hanging from the rafters for Miami, but uh, certainly not at Ohio Stadium at this point. But you're right. I mean, no – Fields also a very physical quarterback. There's a chance that he might get injured. So, you know, a lot yeah. of things can happen. I mean, Nate, what do you think in terms of, like, is it possible we can add another quarterback to this roster? Because we're going to need someone. Because right now it's just maybe Fields and then the only definites are Baldwin and Chuganov. Yeah, you know, I really wonder if they go out and look for a, you know, a graduate transfer type guy, um, a guy that – you know, it's not going to be a guy from a, a major program. Let, let's just get that across. It's going to be a guy from, you know, maybe maybe in Eastern Washington. You remember remember Vernon Adams did that from Eastern Washington to Oregon several years ago. I'm thinking something along that that line where it's like, yeah, we can't guarantee a spot, but hey, you're going to get to be on scholarship at Ohio State, and if Justin Fields is denied, you have you'll have a shot to be the starter here. Um, so I think that's the only route. I, I guess they could look to the to the 2019 recruiting class again. But to me, Mike, there's you know what what helps you more now getting a grad transfer who could play if needed, or a, a true freshman who's going to add very little value. Yeah, that's true. I, I think that I would probably prefer the grad transfer if you can get them in early and get them to like learn the playbook, but. If you get a grad transfer and basically just have them sit on the bench, uh, you know, you're essentially just wasting that spot. If you can get someone from the 2019 recruiting class that's solid, you can potentially groom him, and then who knows, maybe he'll compete. He'll be competing with Matthew Baldwin for the starting spot like two years down the road. 
so it just depends. And I, I mean, I trust Ryan Day. He's a quarterback guy, so you would imagine that he has the uh, the ability to to find a diamond in the rough, similar to what he claims Matthew Baldwin is. Nate, I'm going to ask you three questions. Uh, it's a quick yes or no from you. Is Justin right. Fields eligible immediately to play next season for the Buckeyes? Yes. Is Tate Martell, will he be eligible for the Miami Hurricanes? No. And last but not least, when Tate Martell is finally eligible, will he ever make a first, second, or third all-conference team with the Miami Hurricanes? Uh, give me a moment on that. ACC is not that deep, so I don't know. It might have to be a high yeah. bar. Yeah, you're, you're, obviously Trevor Lawrence has that locked up for the next couple of years. I'll say yeah. I think he. I think he could. You could get that. That. Yeah, at least, yeah, at least third team or honorable mention or something. Yeah, I feel like his rushing definitely helps him because he's going to have, you know, he's going to definitely compile the stats. And, I, I mean, who knows? Miami's program's kind of in flux right now because they've had, like, weird weird coaching situation. But uh, there's certainly a lot of potential at that program, and maybe Tate can exploit that. We'll see. Uh, Nate, moving on to the next thing, we'll stick with football. A lot of coaching changes, a lot of stuff going on uh, on that front. I feel like you've been very plugged in. You're always texting the updates. I get my updates from you. I don't want to run Warriors, so. Now, you want to fill in the uh, listeners on the most important coaching changes. Yeah, so most recently here, I can't remember where we stood at the end of the last podcast, but the, the defensive coaching staff has been solidified. Um, we, we've got uh, Jeff Hasley and Greg Madison as co-defensive coordinators and then um, and then bringing in – Oh, man, Al Washington to be the linebackers coach. And I can't recall the – they brought in a, essentially a second second DB coach to help Hathley, and he was out of uh, South Carolina, I believe. I, I'm, I'm spacing on his name. Now, the shocking thing, Mike, is offensively, the Buckeyes really had very little turnover. I, in fact, I'm not sure that they let any of the coaching staff go. Griff, Greg Spadrara – is back with the offensive line. I think that's the first time I've said his name correctly. Um, Saguara is back. Tony Alford back in the running back room. Obviously, Brian Hartline has been elevated to full-time wide receivers coach. And then we brought in Mike Yersich from Oklahoma State. And so I like a lot what, what Ryan Day did. I think he went out and poached some, some high-level – Mind some high-level recruiters. Um, you're going to see Al Washington kill the recruiting game. You're going to see guys like Yersich and and Greg Madison with incredible minds on their side of the football. So overall, Mike, I'm I'm super excited. And hey, from what I've heard, bringing back Stud was was a big get because a lot of these young, big-time offensive line recruits that we desperately need. We are we are in on the offensive line, love Coach Stud, and, and it, it seems that that's going to lead them to come come to Ohio State. Yeah, that was a really good summary, Nate. I, I, I'm shocked you did all that on top of your head because it's, it's hard enough to remember the players, let alone like all these coaches that we barely see. But yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It seems like Al. I was about to call him Al Harrington, like field center. Uh, it seems like Al Washington 
Uh, it's probably the, the best grab just because that may have been the reason why Zach Harrison ended up staying with Ohio State as opposed to going to Michigan. Uh, so, so that was huge, and I think it's good. We're seeing a good mix of, like, older, tenured coaches that kind of have been around, like Larry Johnson. They know what they're doing, but also a mix of young blood. like how they kept Ryan Hartline on staff. I think that was really big as well. So I, nothing but, but thumbs up. And, May, I texted you this before. What, what's your rating, 1 to 10, on, on what Ryan Day has done so far as Ohio State's head coach since the Rose Bowl? And I feel like you really can't point out one thing that he really has done poorly. No, he has been he has been outstanding. He's gotten, you know, high, a high-caliber recruit in Zach Harrison. He's gotten Justin Fields here. He's put together a coaching staff. You know, he plucked a guy out of a good situation at Oklahoma State where he was the offensive coordinator. He, he took a step down to be the quarterback coach here. Um, you know, he, he plucked two guys, Al Washington, Greg Madison, incredible minds. Um, overall, I think he's done a very good job. Now, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. We still have to see him actually do the job full time. But from what we've seen to this point, I, I am very impressed. The stuff that there were questions about Ryan Day, like everyone's like Ryan Day's an NFL guy, right? Like he's a really good in-game coach. He makes good in-game adjustments. He puts together a good game plan. But what people were questioning for was like the quote-unquote stuff that only college coaches do, which is like the the whole like recruiting aspect of it, like the transfer portal and stuff like that. And, you know, Ryan Day, he's doing a pretty good job for a, an NFL guy you know, getting Justin Fields and getting Zach Harrison, like you had it, like you said, and putting together an impressive recruiting class considering uh, the coaching changes. I know, obviously, we lost a few guys, but we also picked up a few. And I think overall, this class was never supposed to be super deep. You know, we only had spots for 16 guys. He ended up signing 15. One more is, is likely to come with uh, Doug Nestor, the tackle from West Virginia. So if we can sign Doug Nestor and maybe pick up, like, a three-star quarterback that can kind of serve as a – as a backup, you know, I think overall, like, I, I have to go, like, 9 of 10, if not 10 of 10, for what he's done so far. Super, super excited. Yeah, and, you know, I think another point, Mike, is is so much of what is important to Ohio State football tradition, to culture there, to the people of, of the great state, as Urban Meyer would say, is that Ohio State-Michigan game. And from the start, that was the biggest concern. Is this guy going to understand the rivalry? And, and man, he just hit it out of the park. He, in his introductory press conference, he said, we want every kid who grows up in Ohio, his dream to, be, to play for the Buckeyes. And then he goes out and plucks the two best recruiters Michigan had in the state of Ohio and brings them to Ohio State and Al Washington Greg Madison. So, I mean, he, it, that has been – that has meant – the world to me as a fan to watch him, you know, essentially he's saying we're, we're putting walls up around this state. And, and once I establish myself there, then, you know, I can go get the Florida kids and the, and the California and Texas is like, like urban Meyer. He seems like a pretty hands-off guy too. Like I think you could definitely envision him as being the type of coach that's going to tell his assistant coaches, like obviously urban Meyer, one of the best college coaches of all time, but he was more of a, uh, trying to think of the right word, but, uh, I guess, like, mi- micromanager, right? Like, Urban Meyer had his hands in every camp. And, uh, you know, obviously to a degree, like, he would let the play calling go. But Urban Meyer was in every position group room. And 
Ryan Day, I think he's got to probably find a perfect mix of that because back when he was the temporary head coach for three games, he started showing his face in the defensive meeting rooms and stuff like that. But I think in general, from what we've read, he's going to be hands-off. He's going to let the assistant coaches do their job, and that's something that the team loves. That's something that the assistant coaches love because they feel like they can flourish and they have room to do what they want to do. So he's doing a good job putting the right guys in place, and uh, you know we're taking it from there day by day. And got to just love the job he's doing. Yeah, man, and and uh, the defense. I just want to highlight the defensive side of the ball real quick too. You know, there's a lot of people who who are quick to criticize the Greg Madison hiring. They said, "I've already got Larry Johnson, an, an older guy, D, good D line coach. So what do you need another one of them for?" And and you know, to that, I would say, man, he 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 brought in Jeff Halfley, he brought in Al Washington, and, and also the coach from South Carolina. These are three young guys. Halfley is going to do do well on the recruiting trail. Al Washington, I can't under understate how important it's going to be just having having a young african-american man in that in that side of the the football is going to be huge for you know more than half the locker room is african-american guys and so i think that was a great great hire as well and then you have two wily veterans you know with tons of experience with uh you know vast mindset i i think it's Man, he, he hit a home run defensively. Yeah, I, look, I'm going to say 9 of 10 for me so far, and I think the only thing that would have made Ryan Day's tenure a 10 out of 10 would be if he could have added Marcus Freeman to the defensive staff. I think that would have been the absolute home run that potentially we're missing. But, you know, it, it can't be perfect, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that that would have been – or the, the DB coach out of LSU, that would have been – that would have been pretty sweet as well. But, yeah, very, very impressed with what what Ryan Day is doing. And, hey, Mike, uh, ex-Ohio State football coach now, Urban Meyer, assistant athletic director, I should say, sounds like he uh, he's, he's going to sign a deal to do Saturdays with Fox. Um, from what I understand, the role isn't specified, maybe a studio guy or maybe, you know, in the booth. What would you prefer? I think he'd be better as a studio guy, to be totally honest. I think, like, the best guys uh, in the booth are, like, the Tony Romos, I think. And Urban Meyer never really – he doesn't seem like the super, super, like, talkative, uh, funny, like, analytical guy. Like, I'm sure he is analytical and there's a lot going on in his head, but he was never, like, the best TV in press conferences. But I think if I can get his analysis in the studio – I think that'd be a little bit better, um, and then also he wouldn't—he would have less travel time if he just has to go to the studio as opposed to flying all over the country to do games, which means he would have more time to carry out his duties as assistant athletic director if he, uh, you know, maintains that role for Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, and selfishly too, Mike. You and I both love Joel Klatt. Um, oh, he's the best. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to see Urban Meyer. I don't even think. You know, I think Brady Quinn does a really good job in that second Fox role. So I wouldn't want to see him in that third third Fox game. You know, calling Baylor at Kansas State. He, he's better than that. So yeah, I hope. I, I hope you're right. I hope he's in the booth. Um, it's got to be. It's got to be that. You think about like what. If Fox wants his opinion, they're not going to want his opinion on Illinois and Iowa. They're going to want his opinion, you know, in the studio talking about Alabama, Oregon, you know, all these high-profile programs. Right, right. 
and let me, let me ask you, this this just came to mind, Mike, uh, in regards to Urban Meyer. I think it's, it's kind of a fun question to debate. Will Urban Meyer be coaching or a member of the college football playoff committee first? So is he going to come back to coaching or is he going to be a part of that committee? Uh, I hope he's not part of the committee because that, I think, would really hurt Ohio State. Uh, and we kind of saw this because Gene Smith being part of the committee the last few years, I think, has been a negative for Ohio State because, remember, he has to leave the room every time Ohio State is talked about. So you don't have someone in the committee room, you know, going to bat for Ohio State versus, like, when Barry when we made the college football playoff and we skipped TCU and Baylor – Barry Alvarez was in the room fighting for Ohio State. So if you're going to have a Big Ten guy, you want them to not be from Ohio State because I think that kind of takes a, takes away uh, the advocate in the room for us. I know I didn't really answer your question, but that's kind of my two cents on the issue. What do you think? That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think I don't think either are likely, but I think he'd be on the, the committee before he, he coaches again. I, I really think – you know, there's a lot of rumors he's going to take over at USC. I really think Urban Meyer is – coaching has been his rear view now. Yeah, it, look, especially with the fists on his head, like the last thing he wants to do is go coach and then have to leave another program and hear about it. Like, at this point, there's not any, like, elite, elite jobs, and I just can't see him, you know, going to coach a middle-of-the-road program. Right, right. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Mike. Let's uh, Let's transition to – Something less positive, and the Ohio State basketball team. What uh, update the listeners on on what has happened to this team since January first? Yes, it's been a while since we podcasted. Uh, since January at January first, Ohio State was twelve and one. Only loss was to Syracuse by ten at home, and the game was really a lot closer than that. And Michigan State, eighth ranked team in the country, at home. Big opportunity. Ohio State, I believe we were leading at halftime, but folded late, lost, then proceeded that with back-to-back road losses to Iowa and Rutgers. Rutgers 8-9 and nine overall. Iowa's not bad, but still, that was that was kind of a bad loss, too. And then proceeded to lose to Maryland at home. So 2-4 in the Big Ten, 12-5 overall, and four straight losses. Look, the I guess that's a hard part of our schedule, but we still have some tough road games against Michigan, Indiana, and Michigan State, and Maryland, four ranked teams on the road coming up in our schedule. Nate, is this team even going to make the tournament at this point? Man, Mike, I am – so from what, I, what I'm guessing, I think this team at, at best or at worst is going to have to go 9-9 nine and nine. In in conference play to make this tournament because that's gonna you know that that'll put them from right now seven that's gonna put them at like nineteen and ten overall and I think they could get Purdue at home um, Nebraska on the road tough Michigan on the road tough you got to beat Rutgers at home got to beat Penn State I I just don't know I don't know if you're beating you're not winning at Michigan on the road. You're not winning at Michigan State. You're not probably not winning at Purdue on the road. You know that's we're already to four losses, and so uh, I don't know, Mike. I, I don't know. What does your gut tell you? I think we're already back on the bubble. 
you know, two weeks ago we were 14th in the country, and I'd say we're squarely on the bubble now. Yeah, those those four road games that I listed against ranked teams, Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State, and Maryland, I think you absolutely have to win one of those and well, not not entirely sweep your home games, but win most of your home games. I don't know. It's a little hard to, you know, project too far in front, you know, coming out of four straight losses. But I don't think you – know, Chris Holtman, we still believe in him. Uh, he's still a great coach. He can still rally the troops. Obviously, it's a little bit of a rough patch, but we got to remind ourselves this team was overachieving, you know, compared to where they were expected. Uh, they were expected to finish 10th in the Big Ten heading into the season. Uh, they're right around there right now, but they had a great non-conference play. There are some seniors on this team. There is, you know, some some veteran leadership that hopefully they could rally the troops and, and, and put together a nice stretch of games. But it's going to be tough. I mean, the Big Ten's a good conference this year. And, you know, if we finish like 7th or 8th, that's probably an accomplishment because I think the Big Ten's going to get 8 or 9 teams in. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you, Mike. Let me ask you, um, from your perspective, I think you've gotten to watch a little bit more, you know, closely than I have. What's the biggest issue? What What is holding the Buckeyes back as it stands to this point? Uh, I think it's really turnovers have been a big issue, although that wasn't a problem against Maryland. Uh, I, I think that this is something like we've forced C.J. Jackson to play point guard, and he is not a true point guard. I think he's much more comfortable as a shooting guard. Uh, he, he's not like your natural like point guard passer that you would expect. And I think also we're relying on Caleb Weston a little bit too much. It's hard like in today's college basketball game to you know run your entire team through a post presence is tough because this is such a three point shooting game nowadays and most of all look at all the best teams like Duke and and Michigan and you know they they all are basically built from their perimeter in and not from the inside out but this team definitely relies on its defense and that's been letting it letting us down recently you know gave up 86 against Michigan State at home gave up 72 to Iowa 75 to Maryland so I think we have to go back to the basics just play tough defense and rebound and do all the little things right. And I'm sure that's what Chris Holtman is drilling into these guys. But for me, the big things are lack of three-point shooting, uh, turnovers, and just the other teams are hitting their shots. And I don't know if that's a symptom of poor defense or not getting a hand up, but that, that's, a, that's a big thing for me. Yeah, Mike, and, and I, I love what you said about Caleb Weston. He is incredibly talented. That's just not where the game is anymore. And, and – we, you know, people have been saying this since probably 2011 when we first saw Kemba, but but college college basketball is a guard-driven game. You know that that is who who wins. That that's who succeeds. Kemba Walker and Shabazz Napier put teams on their back, and they're little six-foot, one-inch point guards just because they, you know they can go. And so we don't have that. We don't have a guard who can take over C.J. Jackson, good complimentary piece, good, you know, third scoring option with with a K-to-base D-op and a, and a J. Sean Tate. But when he's asked to be the guy out there, I, I just don't – I don't think we can we can be successful, to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's more than just that, too. It's like, well, we don't really shoot that great either. Like, Ohio State is – we are – I'm trying to find the exact number now. I believe we're not in the top 100 in terms of three-point percentage. So, therefore, teams are going to be able to crowd the paint a little bit more and make it more difficult for Caleb Weston to operate. And then also C.J. Jackson, as I said, 
just not a natural, like, pick-and-roll guy. And in order for Caleb Weston to be optimally effective, he needs to have shooters around him that can space the floor and a good point guard that can run the pick-and-roll with him. And I feel like C.J. Jackson, I think he's good in a lot of other ways, but he's just not a true point guard. And, and again, the shooting is just not there. Although I do like the way that Luther Muhammad and Jane Washington are playing. I think those are two young guys who are stepping up well. Keyshawn Woods is kind of up and down. I like Kyle Young. He does all the little things. I think the pieces are there for all of these guys, but we just got to continue to play together as a team and kind of put it all together at one time. And, hey, the, the, the story on this team, Mike, has been next year's the year. It's not this year. Right. I think we got overly excited. I know I did about the thought um, of this team, you know, making a run, being the underdog. But next year, I mean, they're bringing in three outstanding outstanding players in DJ Carden, EJ Lydell, and Alonzo Gaffney. And then you add that to a core that's really not going to lose much. Caleb West and Luther Muhammad, like you said, Wayne Washington, been very impressed with him. Um, yeah, this team has, is going to have what it takes next year to be – top three in the Big Ten, and, and maybe a Sweet 16 Elite Eight basketball team. Yeah, the only players we lose next year are C.J. Jackson and Keyshawn Woods. And Keyshawn Woods and C.J. Jackson, well, yeah, we're losing two guards, and our backcourt is already, like, pretty thin. But remember, we're getting in C.J. Walker, the transfer from Florida State who had to sit out. We're getting a five-star guard, so we should be able to fill those gaps, and then hopefully everyone else can take kind of a step forward, you know? We're, we're also losing Joey Lane, Mike. I, that is true. That is true. We are losing the uh, – Joey Lane, he probably averages maybe, like, what, 0. 0.5 points per game for his career? <laughs> Let's see if I can find that. Actually, I'm selling him short. He has 33 career points in four years at Ohio State. Hey. So. That might hey. be better than Mark Titus. Oh, it's definitely better than Mark Titus. I don't think Titus had a point. I don't know. We could, we could double-check that one. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's ever really brought it out or brought it up or talked about it in uh, one shining pod, but – that's uh, that's certainly funny. But, yeah, it's too bad because, like, this basketball team is really fun to watch. They were carrying us through the fall. And it's, it sucks that they kind of have dipped a little bit. But, you know, until they are, like, officially out of it, I think we could still have hope. It's still going to be a fun game against Purdue. Uh, look, Purdue, they're 12-6 and six overall, so they're kind of in the same boat as us. They played a little bit better in conference play. I think it will be a good one. I think we're actually favored in that game. Um, actually, Purdue's a slight favorite, so – it's expected to be a close game, but we got to shut down Carson Edwards, who for Purdue is potentially the player of the year, averaging 25 points per game. He's been, yeah, he, he has been outstanding. Um, and, Mike, real quick, uh, quick game note. Uh, New England, if you're not watching, about to make the, the score 14 nothing here at Kansas City, start of the second quarter. Much to the chagrin of you, Nate. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Should we, uh, Mike, should we get to some questions here? Let's do it. All right. First question comes from Reggie. Uh, he asked, if you were a player on Clemson who got to eat fast food at the White House, what would be your go-to fast food meal? Oh, uh, I would go Chick-fil-A, and there's no question Ooh. about that. What about you? So what, what are you getting at from Chick-fil-A? Oh, Tom Brady was just picked in the end zone. Um oh. Yeah, uh, I'm going to get the probably just the standard Chick-fil-A sandwich, the one that has, like, pickles on it and uh, the, the whole the whole shebang. Okay. Uh, I, I, see, I love Chick-fil-A. The only thing that frustrates me, man, the, the waffle fries are deceptively big, 
and you eat them real fast, and then you just want more. So I yeah, usually you got the Chick-fil-A sauce. Yeah, I get suckered into an extra one. If if it were me, Mike, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a, a Mike and Nate classic and say I'd want some Taco Bell. I would want it to be as greasy and as disgusting and cheesy as possible. You know that 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 just reminds you of college football, doesn't it? That's true. Nothing like college football Saturdays, watching for 12 straight hours and then making a midnight Taco Bell run and coming home to watch the conclusion of Hawaii and Fresno State. <laughs> gotta love, uh, gotta love Mountain West football. Uh, next question here comes from Jake, and he wants to know what can we expect from Justin Fields if he starts next season? Is a Dwayne Haskins-esque season? a reasonable expectation? Uh, I don't know. I don't think he's going to have a – look, to say he's going to come in as a passer right away and have a Dwayne Haskins F season, what does Dwayne Haskins have, 50 touchdowns and seven interceptions? I mean, that is, yeah. that's way too crazy to ask for. But Fields is more of an overall athlete. So, look, instead of saying, is he going to be Dwayne Haskins, I would say, is he going to be redshirt freshman J.T. Barrett? Because that J.C. Barrett season, he was incredible as a runner and a passer. He had a lot of playmakers around him, and I think you could see a similar thing. Maybe a little bit more explosiveness and a less, you know, fewer carries on, like, fourth and one. But I, I think overall that's probably what we're going to see. Yeah, let's see. He finished the year with 2,800 yards passing, 34 touchdowns, and 938 rushing with 11 touchdowns. So, uh, yeah, I would absolutely take that. And, Mike, I'm with you. Um, I, to, to even think he could get close to that, to me, is ridiculous. Dwayne Haskins is a, is a generational talent. Um, and Justin Fields could be, too. But I think just given his skill set, the, the Ryan Day is, is smart enough, he's savvy enough that he's going to work in the run game some still with Justin Fields, use his legs. He's got four or five speed. Um, so I'd expect probably, I'm going to say 3,500 yards passing and maybe like five to 600 on the ground. I think that's fair. I like that. That's a good sound. All right. Last question here comes from Zachary. Let's see. Sorry. Zach Harrison. Nice. Yeah, I think it is Zach Harrison. Um, Okay, this is so. This has nothing to do with Ohio State. He he wants to know what are your thoughts on Zion Williamson? Is he as good as everyone says? Uh, Nate, I want you to answer this first because I've already asked you this question directly, and I know your answer. Yeah, I, I'm in the minority here, and don't get me wrong. What Zion Williamson does is crazy. Um, I don't know if you watched the Duke Virginia game yesterday, but there's a play where he essentially blocked a shot with both hands, and he was so high. Um, the thing to me, though, is, Mike, there he's going to be good in the NBA, but there are plenty of guys who are just as athletic and jump just as high as he can. And I think his body, the NBA game, is, is becoming faster and faster. And I don't think he is built to go up and down, you know, at, at that pace just yet. I'm interested to see what happens there. I think he's going to be a good player, but the people that think he is going to be, you know, guaranteed Hall of Famer, 
28 and 12 every season for the rest of his life, I think we're, we need to pump the brakes a little bit. I think more realistically for him, he's maybe a guy that's 18 and 9 through his career. Uh, that, that's just my gut. Yeah, I think his well, – I'm pointing at this from the perspective of a Knicks fan. The Knicks are actively tanking to try to get him. And I kind of view this two ways. Like, number one, to me, at the top, the class just seems kind of weak. Like, the, no, I'm looking at a mock draft right now, and the number two guy is from Murray State, John Morant. Uh, the number four guy is Ruby Hachimura, who's a good college player, don't get me wrong, but I don't, like, think he, his type of game is going to translate super well. So I just think, like, Zion's a lot better than the other people in the class, and I want him a lot more. And when I envision the Knicks next year, assuming they don't get Kevin Durant, but you can run the offense through Zion Williams, and you also have Kristaps Porzingis, who's coming off of his surgery, and then you have Kevin Knox, too. I feel like that's a good three-man trio to start off of. You know, versus, like, if you have any of the other guys in the class, like R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish or, you know, John Morant, you can't exactly, like, run the offense through them, you know? But I feel like Zion Williamson, you can run the offense through him in the Eastern Conference and still get, like, 35 to 40 wins and maybe ch- maybe chase the playoff spot. I don't yeah, know. John Morant is a freak. That, yeah, that John Morant, funny story. He's a sophomore at Murray State, at Murray freaking State, and he was a two-star recruit two years ago. And somehow nobody realizes how good this guy was, and now he's, he's supposed to be a top-five pick uh, two years later. It's such a crazy story. Dunking on everyone's head, that's for darn sure. Yeah, true point guard, six foot three, 175, and he's jamming on people. Crazy. Love that. Love that. Uh, so Nate, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess that pretty much does it. Does it for us, right? Like, no more questions. You could remember you could tweet us at Nuts for Bucks Pod. Uh, this one, 40, 40 minute podcast about standard for us. And hopefully, the next time we're talking, Nate, Ohio State basketball has a few wins under their belt. Uh, is there any? You think there's any football stories in the near horizon, or are we just going to be talking about basketball for for a good while? You know, the the only thing that I would say to keep an eye on football wise is. You know, they now have the early signing period, so National Signing Day really has kind of lost its luster. But I would keep an eye on National Signing Day coming up here, uh, I believe the first week in February, just to see, you know, if the Buckeyes do lock down Doug Nestor, if they do get a quarterback in this class. But I would expect things to be quiet uh, on the football football scene. And, Mike, I'll say right now, in the next – Let's see here. Up until Ohio State plays Michigan State again, they have seven games. Purdue at Nebraska at Michigan, home Rutgers, home Penn State at Indiana, at Illinois. We need to go five and two through that stretch. And if we can do that, I'll have some faith. But if we don't go five and two through that stretch, I think we might be stuck. Yeah, I would definitely sign for that. Like, if we lost to Michigan and Indiana close and won the rest, I think that would definitely be good. At that point, that would put us at 17-7. and seven. We still have some good wins against Creighton and Cincinnati. And, well, UCLA kind of sucks, but we would have, I guess we'd have a few good wins. You know, uh, Purdue's not bad. So, yeah, I mean, I would definitely take that. And, Nate, obviously our staples, we're probably going to wait until further in the offseason to do these, but we're going to break down the offensive depth chart, the defensive depth chart, separate podcasts, talk about the schedule, so a lot of fun stuff ahead, and uh, you know, please rate and review us on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. And again, tweet us at Nuts for Bucks Pod on Twitter. Send any questions, whatever, basketball, football, uh, life, reality television. We'll take we'll take any questions. Yeah, Mike. I, I real quick, I am 
to talk schedule. You know I love schedule. Um, just to wet the, wet the tongue real quick, Ohio State, man, easy non-conference, but conference season, it, I think it's the worst it's ever been in terms of cross-conference matchups. We get Wisconsin at home, at Nebraska, at Northwestern. So probably the three best teams from the West. That's going to be fun to talk about. Well, yeah, you know, actually, you know why that our, our non-conference is so weak? There's two reasons. Uh, actually, I was looking at this the other day. It's weird you bring it up. Number one, TCU backed out of playing us back-to-back years. We were going to do a home-and-home, and and then Gary Patterson was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. So they backed out, and we ended up settling for a a neutral site, which was basically a road game because we played in Arlington. And then I think at that point, Ohio State was like, well, you know, I think Gene Smith saw that we were at Wisconsin and at at Northwestern from the West, so he's like, we're going to have a good enough conference, so we'll we'll take – you know, we'll take a year off from conference play because typically Ohio State's always scheduling a good power five, but, uh, you know, not this year. I'll make a bold proclamation for you right now, too, Mike. I know you're, you're a big hot take guy. A lot of Ohio State fans are going to look at the schedule and go to the very end and see Penn State in, in on November 23rd, Michigan November 30th. I'm going to say that that Penn State game, they're, they're going to go into that game – uh, six and five, and it's not going to be quite the quite the dog fight that people think. Penn State's not going to be very good next year. You heard it here first. I will co-sign that, and that we'll we'll take we'll put a pin in that and revisit that hot take at a later date. But I like where your head's at. Anyway, remember tweet us at nuts for bucks pod, and I will play you out with some hang on, Slippy. Hang on, but up, but up.